Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What we need to understand from this, number one, God is in control. God is in control. He's in control. It's best to trust him and that he is in control. Even as difficult as that may be or as frustrated as you may be in life at this present moment right now, I would beg you, I would beseech you to trust that he is in control. He is in control. Even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And man, I just got robbed by my uncle again. You trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. You can count on him. Today, Pastor James tells us about Jacob and Laban. Laban tried tricking Jacob out of some sheep. When he found out that he'd been cheated, he didn't leave, but made it so that he would have his own flock. Later, Jacob left with his family and Laban pursued them. He was angry and tried to get them to admit that they had stolen from him. God showed up in a dream and told Laban to treat his family with respect. God was telling Jacob, I've got your back. When you struggle, he does the same for you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 30 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. telling his wives this. He's like, listen, God is good. God is good to us. And it's time for us to go. His, his wives have an interesting uh, response to this. Look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion of our inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. What a terrible thing. This is two daughters talking about their dad. And as their husband is going before them saying, listen, you know I've served your dad with integrity. You know I've worked. I've given him all that I have. And it has been God who has blessed us. And his wives respond with like, our dad stole all our money. He doesn't even consider us his daughters. We're strangers in his house. This shows the depravity of Laban. This shows where his heart's at. He doesn't even care about his daughters. They were only worth to him what he could get out of them. That's it. They're like a commodity. Oh, this guy shows up. Yeah, I'll let you marry my daughter, but you're going to work for it. Yeah, oh, you, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, we see around here, the younger daughter doesn't get married before the older daughter, so that's why you married my older daughter. But I'll give you my younger daughter, but you're going to have to work for it. He used his daughters to get wealthy. He used his daughters to get wealthy. And then he completely disowned them, he treated them as strangers within his own house. There was no love for Laban towards his daughters. And we're going to see the end of this story and all that stuff. It, it appears that way, but it's not that way. Things aren't always as they appear. But this really gives you great insight into to Laban. And, and my goodness, you got Leah and Rachel who are like, our dad stole all our money. Why would we want to stay around with this guy? He treats us like servants. 
He doesn't care about us. He's never cared about us. He's consumed, he's completely consumed all of our money. That dowry and everything, it's gone. It's gone. Verse 16, for all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. That's wisdom from wives. Wisdom from wives. And, and they, would, they come alongside their husband and they say, listen, Jacob, if God is telling you to go, you obey God. You obey God. Don't worry about us, Jacob. You obey God. That's a great thing for wives to say to their husbands. It's difficult to lead families. It is a difficult thing. Let me tell it, it is there, and I hold fast to what the Bible says, and especially Ephesians chapter 5. I believe that husbands should be the spiritual leaders of their household. And I think there's a reason for that. And it doesn't devalue women at all. Not at all. Not, not in the least bit. But there's, there can be a lot of pressure for, for dads just to, to try to lead their families in the way of the Lord. And I mean, my goodness, the hardest decision I ever made was packing up my family and moving them down to Galveston where we knew nobody. Leaving all family and friends and all the stuff. The hardest, it wasn't going, it wasn't moving to a town that I didn't know. I don't care about any of that stuff. The hardest part of that was knowing I'm taking my kids away from all their friends. I'm taking my wife away from all her friends. And we're starting from scratch. That was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. But my wife knew how to come alongside me and say, listen, if God is telling you to do this, then you do it. Then you do it. That was all I needed. That was all I needed. You got my back? Let's do this. Let's do this. It's a difficult thing. So this was probably like a nice little shot of confidence for Jacob, saying like, okay, let's go. Let's go. You guys got my back? Then let's do this. Verse 17, then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried, he didn't show up with any camels. You remember that? He's on foot. He is on foot running from his brother. And now he's leaving on camels. That's like luxury, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but that's like, you're cruising out in like, what would it be? Like, uh, I don't know, what's a Tesla or something like that? I don't know cars that much. But uh, it's like you're cruising out in style, okay? Like, yeah, the camels are the, are the thing. So he loads up his family on multiple camels. Maybe all his kids have their own camel. We have no idea. But he's, he's wealthy now. He's wealthy now. Verse 18, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained, and he, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go uh, to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. What are you doing, Rachel? Here's the thing. So the household idols in, in this land where they live, part of that was like almost like an inheritance to everything that Laban owned. What she's doing is probably a little bit upset with her dad for stealing all her stuff. She's like, listen, dude, I'm going to steal all your valuable possessions. Now, they're little things, then they're just sticks and stones and all that. They mean nothing, okay? They're not real, but they're the idols. But for him and for his sons, that's like everything. I mean, that's almost like the title deed to his property. That's, that's everything for him. So she says, I'll get my dad. Whoop, she snatches him. She steals him. She's like, no, you stole from me, so I'm going to steal from you. Rachel's got that little fire in her, I guess. I don't know what's going on here. 
I don't know if she's taking them because she wants to worship these idols, and that's what I'm saying. Because I know a lot of times people put it that way of like, well, maybe Rachel didn't want to leave her household idols. I don't know if that's really what's going on there, honestly. I've seen, I've heard that before and all that. When you think of it as the fact that like those things symbolized everything that he owned, it's almost a way of the daughter getting back at her dad saying, you stole everything that I have, I'm going to steal everything that you have. So is it right? No, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that. But I don't think it's connected to idol worship is all I'm saying. I could be wrong on that, and that's fine. But she's really kind of sticking it to her dad. That's kind of what's going on. So when he shows up and he notices that those idols are gone, he doesn't care so much that his daughters are gone. He doesn't care so much that his grandsons are gone and that his granddaughter is gone, and maybe they had more than that. He doesn't care so much about that. What he cares most about is those idols. Because for him, I mean, that's a mortgage to his house. That's like, that's everything. <laughs> like, you stole everything I have. Hurts, doesn't it? it? Hurts, doesn't it? Right? That's what she would be saying to him. So they take off. She steals these things. She hides them away. Verse 20, and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So let's get to this pursuit here real quick. Laban finds out, verse 22, was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So he's just totally unaware of this. He finds out, and then verse 23, then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days. Seven days journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead, or Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. He's basically saying, you better watch what you say to Jacob. Hey, Laban, you better watch what you say. Laban kind of gets the point, right? He knows like, uh, this, this, this is God now speaking to me. Um, he he kind of gets it in one sense. Verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had set up his tent in the mountains, and Laban and his brethren had set up their, their tents in the mountains of Laban or of Gilead. So they're, they're all kind of, they got two camps that are set up there. The, the tents are all set up and all that good stuff. And now they have the confrontation. Laban says to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me? Number one, you didn't tell me you were leaving. That was wrong. That was wrong. Was he wrong in doing that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is Laban. This is the deceiver. Had he gone to him and said, hey, listen, it's time for, we're going to leave. We're going to leave. What do you think Laban would have done? He would have done everything he could to try to keep him there and trick him again and all this stuff. Jacob did what he, what he felt like he had to do. Well, I just got to pack up my family. I got to go. But Laban comes to him and says, number one, um, you, you left and you didn't tell me. You, number two, you carried away my daughters like captives, taken with the sword, uh, as if really he cared. Um, and he says, 27, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. Like, we would have thrown you a party. Would you have? I doubt it. I doubt it. Laban's like all talk. And, did you not, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and daughters. Now you have done foolishly in, do, in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because, you're greatly, because you greatly long for your father's house. But why, number three, why did you steal my gods? 
Number one, if your gods can be stolen, get new gods, okay? Like, come on, like, seriously? Like, what? It's like the Philistines when their god was set up and he kept falling over and he broke. It's like, dude, if your god can't keep himself together, serve the one true god. What are you doing? If our god can be stolen, we're serving the wrong god. Why'd you steal my gods? Oh, you, you didn't tell me you were leaving. You didn't let me say goodbye to my daughters. Oh, but really the reason why I'm here, you stole my gods. And I don't appreciate that. Why'd you steal my gods? Verse 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, okay, let me address these issues one at a time. Because I was afraid for, I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force, which he was really threatening to do at this moment. The only thing that was preventing him from doing that was God who showed up to him in that dream and says, hey, don't you, don't, don't even say anything to him. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So he's really putting a death sentence on his wife, the one that he really loved and cared about. He's like, oh yeah, go through our stuff. If you find whoever's bag you find them in or whatever, just go ahead and kill that person. No worries. Listen, justice will be done. It's cool. No clue that his, his wife had stolen them. Verse 33, and Laban went to Jacob's tent and to Leah's tent and into the, t- uh, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out from Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. The tension is growing. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, idols and put them in this camel saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she, Rachel, said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of of women is with me. She's like, it's that time of the month. And he's like, as any good dad is like, oh, yeah, okay, um, wait, somebody's calling me, I got to go. Like, like, oh, no, Uh, you know, for whatever reason, she's like, she's going to lie to her dad and say, oh, listen, I can't get up because I just can't get up. You know why, dad. He's like, mm, yeah, okay, I think I'm going to leave, right? So he, he, he's going to leave this tent, but she's got him. She's sitting on these things in, that are hidden in the, the camel's saddle there. He searched, but he did not find the household idols. Verse 36, then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before the brethren and your brethren, my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. He's like, listen, I've served you faithfully, man. Even when your animals died. I, I took that. I took that hit. I never, I, I haven't done any, I've never stolen anything from you. In fact, it's cost me to serve you these years, these 20 years. I've lost out on it. It's come out of my pocket. When your animals died, I paid for them. And now you're here accusing me of stealing. Well, his wife did steal. <laughs> his wife did steal. But Jacob didn't steal him, and he has no idea what's going on. There's no clue that, that any of this stuff was happening. But he's defending his cause. He says, listen, dude, listen, man, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong for pursuing me like this. You're wrong for accusing me like this. 
Verse 39, he says, that which was torn by beasts, did I not bring to you? I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or, or stolen by night. There I was in the day, the drought consumed me and frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. He just kind of gives it to him. He's like, listen, Laban, it ends now. I'm done. You get to that point in your life? You ever gotten to that point in your life? You're like, well, no, okay, okay, enough's enough. Enough's enough. I've been quiet. I've served you faithfully, but enough's enough. Let me tell you what's up. Yeah, that dream you had with God, yeah, he's rebuking you because you're a crook. Because you're a crook, and you're my uncle. You're not supposed to treat me like that. I'm family. You're not supposed to treat me like that. But God has seen my affliction. God has seen my affliction. Know that, people. Know that. Wherever you're at, where you're laboring, maybe you serve a good boss. Maybe your boss is not a good boss. You serve faithfully and know that God sees all. He knows how to come to your rescue. He knows how to come to your rescue. And he will come to your rescue. But let him be your defense. Let him be your defense. When the time is right, he knows how to to save us when the time is right. This last portion, this is it. We're making it. Look at that. We are doing all right. Verse 43. Hey, you guys are troopers. You, you, look at it. It's not too bad, right? You, you. Chuck Smith like teaches three or four chapters out of the Bible all the time. Well, he's dead, but you know how it is. I mean, I listen to Chuck throughout the week, and I'm like, how does he do this? He probably doesn't talk as much as I do in this, these intermittent parts. OK, back to the verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, and to their children whom they have borne? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. He's like, okay. He's like, okay, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Verse 45, so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and, and made a heap. And there they ate uh, and they ate there on the heap, and Laban called it uh, Gegar Sahadadutha. Um, I'm sorry, but Jacob called it uh, Galid or heap, um, heap of wheat witness is really what that means, because um, they heaped up all these stones. They're making this very clear visual monument that this is a covenant, not a contract. This is a covenant, and you can't break this thing from here on out. This is, what it, this is how it's going to be for, for, for you and I. Laban says, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name is called uh, Galid, or heap of witness. Also, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Here's where the dad comes in. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, how funny is it that he puts that on his son-in-law. Like, don't you dare marry any other girls. Like, you gave me two wives. What are you talking about, man? Who are you to give me these rules? Whatever. And now you want to be a dad? 
Now you want to be 14 years, 20 years down the road. Now you want to step up and be a dad? All right, whatever. Jacob's a grown man, a really grown man. He says, if you afflict my daughters, if you hurt my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. You better treat my girls right. You better treat my girls right. Verse 51, and Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond, beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. That fear is also that respect or reverence towards God. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. And that is the last we hear of Laban. They set up the monument, and he says, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. And that's it. And that's honorable to a certain extent, but then that's also kind of sad, because those are his daughters and his grandkids. And to leave on this note, like, draw the line in the sand, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. But that means, too, that you're never going to see your daughters again, that you're never going to see your grandkids. Like, that's what it came to. It's kind of sad when you look at it in that realm of like, we're, we're talking about humans here. We're talking about people and relationships and all that stuff. And, but it was necessary. And in one sense, it was good for Jacob because that kind of sealed the deal for Jacob to where he's like, you're staying in the land. Stay in your land. This is the promised land that God has given you. Now, he will leave that land, but he won't go north. He'll go south into Egypt, as we'll see much later on. But the whole time, what we need to understand from this, number one, God is in control. God is in control. He's in control. It's best to trust him and that he is in control. Even as difficult as that may be or as frustrated as you may be in life at this present moment right now, I would beg you, I would beseech you to trust that he is in control. He is in control. Even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And man, I just got robbed by my uncle again. You trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. You can count on him. You can count on him. And he knows at the right time when to show up. And man, he can come through for us. Nobody can come through for you like the Lord. So please, 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 whatever you're going through, and maybe it's good times, maybe it's bad times, all times, do you place him at the foot of the cross and you say, okay, Lord, this is all yours. Good times, bad times, it's yours. I trust you with it all. Lord, help me just to stay focused on you. Help me to stay focused on you and to get where it is that you are calling me to get to, and just to serve you, just to serve you. That's what Jacob did. And God, and remember, God told him, listen, I'm going to be with you. Jacob, you don't know what's coming next. You thought your hardest story was Laban. You thought your hardest story was your uncle who's like robbing you all the time. Jacob, you got to go back. You got to go face to face with your brother, who at one point in time wanted to kill you. Jacob doesn't know this yet, but God does. So even tomorrow, whatever may come, God is with you today saying, listen, I will be with you. If I give you tomorrow, I will be with you in that tomorrow. It's a good word. It's a good reminder for all of us. 
Just trust in Him. Stick close to Him. Please stick close to Him. Genesis is the beginning of it all. Not just the Bible, but life as a whole. God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus.